Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Good morning, morning. Stevens Creek Church. Good to see you guys. Welcome to Grovetown. Welcome to South Campus. Welcome everybody in here. Man, you guys are excited about Sexy Sunday. Sexy Sunday. We got people clapping, talking about sex today. Some of you look more excited than you've ever looked in church. And some of you look more afraid than you've ever looked in church. And some of you, it's like a combination of both. It's like, I'm excited, but I'm scared. I'm excited, but what are they going to say? I know. I'm just excited. We're going to talk about it, though. We're going to say sex a lot. I just want to prepare you all. Yeah? Yes. And sex is a gift from God. God made it. Devil doesn't own it. Yes. Sex. I want, just right now. Let's just say out it. Out loud. Three, two, one. For the first time in your life, I want to invite you to say sex out loud in church. It's very liberating. It is three, liberating. Three, two, one. Sex. sex. Wow, that felt good. You did it. That could be you like the new it. amen. You know, it's just, hey. But, hey, God made it. There's freedom in it. We're going to talk about it today, but we're also going to talk about the ways that the world has misused this gift. The world has damaged the truth around what sex is, and the wrong messages around sex can cause more damage, perhaps, than maybe the wrong message about anything else, and we're going to talk about the reasons why today. But to just sort of, in a fun way, illustrate how the wrong messages about sex can be dangerous, we heard a story recently about a single, young, lovely Christian lady in her church, involved in the singles ministry in her church, And all the guys in her singles ministry were trying to get to know her a little bit, right? They were trying to get her attention and ask her out on dates. And so she found a way to let them down easily because she wasn't interested. She didn't want to date. She wanted to not date in this season, but she didn't want to break these guys' hearts, right? I mean, her brother's in Christ. She doesn't want to crush them. So she found a way to do it gently. Whenever they would DM her, throw their Christian pickup lines at her, like, hey, girl, after church, let's grab a coffee and catch a Pure Flix movie, you know, like whatever they were saying, she would always have a response, and she would send them the same text, you're so sweet, and then in parentheses, it would say Proverbs 17, 17. They would open up their Bible app really quickly, sure that this verse was going to have a coded message about her love for them, and the message they got was this verse, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Young men, young men, listen to me. If a a young lady that you're interested in says one of two words to you at any point, it's her very kind way of saying it's probably not going to happen. The first word is friend. She goes, oh, you're such a good friend. It's not impossible. Yeah. But it's also not the best right. thing. Yeah. Like, it's like not yet, maybe never. It's like buying a Powerball ticket. Yeah. It's possible. One in 300 million is possible, (laughs) but probably not. But there's one word that means never. Kiss of death. Not even a Powerball chance, never. And that word is brother, young brothers in Christ. If, If a girl ever says, I love you like a brother... It's done. No. It's never going to happen. Now, where we grew up in Kentucky, if she says she loves you like a cousin, that could go either way. It could be romantic, perhaps not, but you've got to feel that out. I mean, we're second cousins. We've made it work. We're not second cousins. We're not related. (laughs) So, So this was her way of letting guys down gently. Now, there was one guy in the singles group, though. He was really persistent, and she was like, it's time for me to send him this message, get this guy off my back. And so she wrote back, oh, you're so sweet. 
parentheses. She thought Proverbs 17, 17, but she sent the text in a hurry. Guys, never send a text in a hurry because you don't know what you're going to send. She left one number off that verse, and it sent him to a completely different place. So this eager young man didn't get the friend and brother verse. What he got instead was this. I perfumed my bed. Come, let's drink our fill of love till morning. Let's enjoy each other's caresses, guys. The Bible different message, is a definitely. steamy book. Yes. You know where to look. That is true. That's the wrong message about sex, though. Definitely. Cause some awkward conversations, guys. And so we <laughs> want to get back to the right message. What's the right message as it relates to sex? And God's Word has a lot to say about it. It does. And that's why we wanted to include this in the Vanishing Values series, because we live in a culture where there is sexual images and sexual messages happening all the time. You know, we're, we're more connected than ever with technology, which can be a beautiful gift. But there's been a, a, a huge agenda to really skew what God originally created sex for. And I think even as Christians, you know, we're living in the world, but we're not meant to be of the world, right? We're supposed to live to a different standard. And we're going to talk about that standard. But I do think that, you know, there's so many times when we are getting these mixed messages and we're like, well, what are we supposed to believe? How are we supposed to live in this world? And I think many times it causes us to have baggage. You know, we have these bags up here, not because we're moving into the church, but like we want to demonstrate how many of us, you know, we actually walked into into this room with invisible bags kind of just weighing on us as it relates to sexual purity in particular. We feel like we've blown it. We feel like we've misunderstood it, like that we can't even talk to God about it. But what we need to remember as Christians is that we serve a God that not only created marriage, which is awesome, but he created sex. Like it was his idea for marriage. And we should celebrate that. Like that's a beautiful thing. We don't need to be like the world and believe that the enemy owns it and that he gets to decide what we do with it. As Christian people, I'm just so grateful. And I hope you are too, that we are in a church that recognizes this that is willing to put up a PG-13 sign and many emails just to make sure everybody knows we're gonna have a real candid conversation about sex because God created it and thank you, Lord, it is good and it is something to be enjoyed. Amen. Man, you are hot when you're preaching about sex. <laughs> oh, it's gonna be a good day. He, he's been so excited. Like, he's giddy, he's giddy, he, yeah. As we all should be. I think. It's an exciting You day. have a goofy grin, like you've had it all morning. <laughs> all right, but before I get too, too far off track, um, what's, what's this day really about? And if you're filling in the blanks, you're following along, here's what we're really talking about today in Vanishing Values. God is calling us to uphold His timeless values in a world that is rapidly abandoning them. And we're going to talk about that issue of sex in particular, because maybe that's the one issue more than any other that the world has gotten so many broken messages. And even in the church, I believe, we've gotten yeah. so many broken messages. So a verse that I think we could come back to not only for our thought process about sex, but in all parts of our life and our value system is Romans chapter 12, verse 2, which says, don't let the world change the way you think. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, but let God transform your mind. Let him change the way you think. Because once you allow God to transform your mind, then you're going to know and be able to do God's perfect will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. If you want to know and do God's will, it starts in our mind. If you want to have a healthy sex life and a healthy mindset as it relates to sex, it starts in our mind. If you want to live with the peace that God wants for you instead of carrying all this baggage around, it all starts in our mind. And so we're going to talk today about what that really looks like. And this is something Ashley and I talk about a lot. We're part of a ministry called Exo Marriage that's focused specifically on helping marriages. And so we, we talk a lot about issues related to intimacy a lot in that. 
We do. We have actually a podcast called the Naked Marriage Podcast, and we call it the Naked Marriage not only because naked is a fun word, but it's actually in the word. Like it was in the Bible. You know, it said God created Adam and Eve, the very first married couple, and it says that they were naked and unashamed. And yes, they were physically naked, which is a beautiful part of marriage, but they were also spiritually naked. You know, it was just the two of them and the Lord, and they were emotionally naked. They didn't have any secrets. They were mentally naked. They were sharing everything with each other. And we know it didn't stay that way. You know, the enemy came in the form of a serpent and made Adam and Eve doubt God and question God and act like God's holding back something from them. And so we know that we live in a fallen world because of it. But we believe that God wants us to reclaim the naked marriage that he originally designed for Adam and Eve. And so on the Naked Marriage Podcast, we go into much more depth than we can actually share with you today about issues like sex and about all things marriage, right? All things relationships. And, um, and we don't, you know, we're not coming at you as a perfect couple who's gotten everything right. We're people, imperfect people like everybody else, but we serve a perfect God and we really do believe that we can reclaim a lot of these things that have been lost in the culture and we can have that beautiful naked marriage that God designed us to have. Yeah, and there's also a lot of importance in here for, for those who are single here today. Yeah. For you know, young folks that haven't married yet or maybe folks that are in a single of seasonness, or sing, a single a season of a singleness, season is, yeah. right? <laughs> or you're maybe coming out of a divorce, you've been married and now you're not, or, or whatever your situation is, for every single one of us, God wants us to know what his plan for sex is in, in whatever season of life that you're in. And for those who aren't married, you know, and they, they, I think sometimes the question is, well, how much can I do before it's yeah. a sin? I think that's sort of like this question we sort of ask ourselves, like, where's the line? Where's the sin line? And God's word gives us a completely different way to approach that kind of thinking or that kind of question. He tells us really what our standard should be in Ephesians chapter five, verse three. And it says, but among you, that's us as followers of Christ, among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Now those three sins coupled together might not seem to make a lot of sense. Sexual immorality, impurity, and greed, but all three of them are connected because Sexual immorality, by very definition, is a form of, of impurity. It's stepping outside the lines of what God has for us. And greed, greed is usually, or selfishness is another word for greed, is at the heart of every sexual sin. Because sex is designed by God for the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman for life. And within that covenant, it is a beautiful gift that should be enjoyed and awesome for a lifetime. Anywhere outside of that covenant of marriage that sex is used, it always causes pain. It always causes baggage. And so God's trying to protect us from that. And greed or selfishness is usually what leads us into sexual sin because we want to do something that feels good in the moment, even at the expense of another person who might be wounded emotionally as the result, even by harming ourselves and even by harming God. And so if we'll take a step back and say, Lord, I want to commit this part of my life to you. Maybe a lot of other parts of my life I've already given you. I've given you my heart. I've given you my life. I've trusted you as my savior, but I haven't yet given you my relationships. I haven't yet given you my thought life as it relates to sex. I haven't yet given you, you know, my body as it relates to, you know, what I'm doing with it that might be outside your will. And so today, we just want to come back to saying, Lord, we're making individually and collectively a commitment or a recommitment to doing sex your way. Because if we'll do it God's way, it's for our good. Everything God tells us to do is for our good. 
It's not like he's up there trying to limit us or, or, or take away your fun. He's trying to protect you. It's like the concrete median on the interstate. It's there not to limit you, but to protect you so you don't veer into oncoming traffic and harm yourself and harm others. God's laws and standards are like that median that says, if you cross this line, people are gonna get hurt, you're gonna get hurt. It's there for your protection. So the first principle is this. Sex is a beautiful gift from God when used properly, but it's a source of destruction and heartache when used improperly. And I think in the church, sometimes the, the mistake we've made has been one of two extremes. On one extreme, it's people who say, well, we have freedom in Christ, which is true. We have a lot of freedom. And if you're you know, married, you have a, a ton of freedom, you and your spouse, within your marriage bed to, to e explore and enjoy that freedom. We have freedom, but we take that to an extreme and say, whatever you want to do, married or not, if it feels good, do it, and it's fine, and, and God's cool with it. On the other extreme which is also wrong, are people who say, no, sex is so dangerous that we shouldn't even talk about it. And maybe you're thinking, we shouldn't even be talking about it in church, even though the Bible has a ton to say about it. But maybe you were raised in a tradition that just put this in your mind, that sex itself is dirty or wrong, or the devil owns it, or, or it shouldn't be enjoyed, or whatever you were taught to believe. That can create baggage within us too. And there have been, through the years, movements of, of Christian people who have, who have gotten it wrong on one or, one or those two extremes. And, and I think maybe if you grew up in a time we did when the church was going through what some now call purity culture, where there was a, a heavy emphasis on the sexual purity part of things, which is a great and great gift, we should focus on that. But sometimes it was done at the expense of talking about sex as a good thing. And we were raised to believe wrongly that, that sex is bad in some way. Sex is really a gift. There's one group of people where we grew up that took this to a negative extreme. And I think it kind of in a very interesting way, illustrates what can happen when we start thinking that sex itself is, is bad. That's right. So in, in a town called Harrodsburg, Kentucky, about 100 years ago, there lived a group called the Shakers. Has anybody ever heard of the Shakers? I know at last service we had some people. Well, you may have heard the word. Like, you're probably like, where have I heard that term shaker? And it's probably because you have shaker cabinets in your house. Like, it's a very popular, very beautiful, classic cabinet, kitchen cabinet look. And so the shakers were really good at building cabinets and really good at building beautiful buildings. But they also were known for their style of worship. That's why they were called the shakers, because evidently they would violently shake while they were worshiping. But, but one thing that's probably the most interesting thing about the Shakers is that the reason these people made kind of their own church and their own little community was because they believed that in order to fully serve God and in order to live a fully holy life, that they needed to abandon all romantic relationships, and that included marriage, and of course, that included sex. And so when they would join this congregation and this community, which lives separately from the rest of culture, they abandoned their marriage. So like if a married couple came in, even with children, the men would go live with the other men, and including boys, and the women and girls would go live together in another house. They would all you know, live and work around each other, but not ever getting too close. But they even abandoned their family relationships. They were all just brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ, okay? And so then they would go to their worship services, and you would have the women on one side, and you'd have the men on the other side. And, you know, they lived a beautiful life serving the Lord, you know, taking in orphans and doing lots of charitable work, which is wonderful. And, and their hearts, you know, were in the right place as far as wanting to serve the Lord however they could. But they really misunderstood the role of marriage and sex. And because nobody was married, nobody was procreating, they eventually died out. And so there are no shakers living today. And so their legacy lives on through empty buildings and empty chapels 
because they just believed, they didn't believe in marriage, which is actually in the word. And you know, as I've studied in my seminary classes, I had a professor that was telling me that even the apostle Paul during his time in some of his letters, I believe it was in Thessalonians, he actually addresses a group that was very similar to the Shakers, where they were like, you know what? I, I think we just need to abandon marriage, abandon sex, and like just go off by ourselves away from the culture and just never engage with those people and just try to live a celibate life. And it wasn't working well. And Paul actually went up to them and said, hey, listen, there is, there is a role of singleness that God calls some people to. Like, it is beautiful if God has called you to a single celibate life, and that should be celebrated because there are some people in this room where you've never had the desire to marry, and you wanna fully just give your life to the Lord and work and live and, and just use your time in that way, and that is an awesome calling. And Paul talked about it, and Paul actually, the Apostle Paul lived that way, but he doesn't leave it there. But he says, but make no mistake, that God calls a lot of people to marriage. He gives you that longing and that feeling to wanna to connect with another person for life. And he said, and you don't need to abandon that because that was mandated, that, that is something that God gave us, right? It is a beautiful relationship that God designed and sex is part of that. You know, years ago I taught um, sixth grade and they actually tasked me because I was a science teacher, they tasked me uh, with, with the task of, of teaching sixth graders about sex, like in a, in age appropriate way. And so I was talking to Dave about this. I was like, okay, how do I go about this? And we started talking and I don't even think we came up with this, but somehow we were like, you know what? Let's, let's, let's give them the picture of this. If marriage is a fireplace, we all can imagine a fireplace, right? A fireplace is wonderful within a home. It warms the home when you have a fire going in there. It's pretty, you decorate it, it's awesome. We celebrate the fireplace, right? Well, imagine that marriage is a fireplace and within that fireplace, that fire is sex, right? You wanna keep sex being a beautiful part of marriage. You wanna keep it a, a fire that is burning bright, right? It's not something you can leave in, you know, without tending to it. It's something that has to be, you know, something that you don't just ignore, but you wanna keep that fire burning bright. But anytime like a log that's on fire falls out of that fireplace, you know, anytime that fire is set outside of that fireplace, it's gonna cause destruction. It's gonna burn everything in its path and there's gonna be pain involved, right? And so we wanna keep sex as part of marriage, the fire within the fireplace that is burning bright, but we don't want to have it outside the fireplace because that's just not what God designed it for. And I think that you know we need to understand it that way because I think as married people, when it comes to sexual purity, you know, it's not, I think we associate sexual purity just with singleness and dating and just trying to figure that out before we're married. But when it comes to sexual purity within the marriage, it's that we don't bring other things, other people outside of our marriage into the marriage bed and we make sure that it's just us focusing on our marriage and making sure that, that intimacy remains between the two of us. And when we do that, it is a holy act. It is something that actually is blessed by God. And so we can celebrate that. But we have to know that God set that really high standard of not having a hint of sexual immorality because it is such an important and binding and holy act. In fact, you know, sex is really that first step that really celebrates the covenant that a husband and wife has, have made. You know, and it's not only physical, it's spiritual, it's emotional, it's mental, but it's that beautiful part of marriage that God created to be so special just for a married couple to experience. It's so good. And we wanna just get, dive into a lot of what the Bible has to say about this. Because sexual sin and confusion and brokenness is nothing new. I think sometimes we live under the illusion that like we're living in the only time in history where people have misunderstood sex. But guys, this is as old as creation. 
And so in the Bible, which, which reads as relevant as ever as it relates to these issues, uh, Paul is writing to the church in a town called Corinth that was in ancient Greece. And they were living in a society that was just very sexually broken on a level that, that we can't even begin to relate to now. In Corinth, uh, prostitution was not only legal, it was celebrated. There were temples to the goddess Artemis and Aphrodite where having sex with temple prostitutes was actually part of the worship experience. It's an interesting way to recruit people to church, you know, but you would have male and female temple prostitutes. You would go in there. Part of your worship to these goddesses of love and sex was to engage in sex in this this so-called church. There were almost no standards as it related to sex. There was no age of consent in ancient Greece. So pedophilia ran rampant and was an actual accepted and acceptable part of society. There was just sexual brokenness of all kinds all around. And then the church popped up and started trying to live Jesus' way. And this group of folks that had been raised in this pagan culture that had misunderstood and abused sex and all had all kinds of sexual baggage because of it, now they're trying to figure out, well, what does it look like to live as a Christian here? What does it look like to be a Christ follower in this kind of culture? Do we just keep doing what we were doing sexually or do we not have sex at all? And Paul is writing to them and he's trying to help them understand. And this letter is, is for us as well, to help us understand some of what God's standard is for sex. So if you have your Bible, you can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll have these uh, verses on the screen as well. I'm gonna read two extended passages from the same chapter. Paul starts out by saying this in verse nine. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? So don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or are prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy or drunkards or abusive or cheats, none of them will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, some of you used to be like that because all of us have sinned, but then you were cleansed. You were made holy you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. So he's saying, listen, you, we've all got baggage, we've all done stuff, but then once we come to Christ, as we're gonna get to, we, we become a new creation and we have to live in light of that. We can't continue living and that old, even though the world approves of it, God says, I've called you to a different standard. And so what we're gonna learn here is, is this principle. What you do with your body will actually impact your soul. And in this next passage, Paul explains why, how our body, first off, it's, it's not even really our body. That's, that's the, the, the talk of our culture. It's my body. It's my choice. I can do what I want with my body, and it doesn't impact anybody. And the Bible's telling us, actually, no, it's God. God gave you that body. It's his. It's, a tempor it's on loan from him. It's temporary. And what you do in it and with it will have massive consequences for good or for bad. That's right. So following along in 1 Corinthians 6, 15 through 20, it says this, don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say the two are united into one. And he's talking about marriage and sex right there. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. And you know, and I know it, it, there's a lot in there, and again, there's that high standard, but you know, Paul is recognizing how sexual sin, it just stays with us, and the enemy loves to beat us up with it. 
The enemy wants to convince us that we can't ever really be whole again, that we're damaged goods, that nobody would ever wanna marry us or nobody would ever wanna date us and we're just gonna have to settle. We're gonna have to take abuse even. I mean, we, we have talked to couples where they believe those lies. And they, you know, even as married couples, they'll think, well, I could never, ever tell my spouse what truly happened in my past because it's just so dark. And you know what? It's just my baggage that I'm supposed to carry along with me. It's kind of my cross to bear, so to speak. But that's not at all what Paul is saying here. He's saying, you know, we need to flee from sexual immorality. I mean, he uses the word in, in this translation, it says run from sexual sin because I think why, why he talks so openly and so pointedly that way is because as human beings, you know, we, we are so open to this and there's so much temptation out there. And I, I do think even more so today, I mean, yes, this was going on back then, but I think that we're on this, there can be continuous reels of this if you're looking for it, right? And so what God is calling us to is to not go and look for it, right? So what does it look like in dating? It, 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 it looks like not putting yourself in a situation where you know you're gonna have sex with that person outside of marriage. Like you don't put yourself in a room alone. You don't go to those places where you know you're gonna fall because it doesn't say, you know what, tiptoe to the edge and just see if you can maybe stand there and balance it and not fall over. That is not what God asks us to do. No, it says run, like go the other way. I mean, I don't advise being with like the significant other, feeling temptation and then just taking off running. I mean, that would be a little awkward. I mean, it would work, you know, but I'm saying, you know, don't put yourself in that situation. If you're having constant fantasies that are maybe drawing you to things like porn or to the wrong people, you gotta go to the Lord and say, God, renew my mind every single day. Maybe it's multiple times a day. That doesn't mean that you're damaged goods. It means you're a human being living in a world where a society is rampant with all kinds of mixed messages about sex. And God doesn't expect us to withstand the temptation on our own or to flee from the temptation on our own. It's always with Jesus's strength. You know, it says that in, his, in our weakness that he is strong. And I'm telling you, if sexual sin is maybe the issue that you walked in here with and you're like, man, I could tell some stories, but if I did, nobody would talk to me again and I probably wouldn't be welcome in this church. I wanna say you're welcome. I'm glad you're here. God is not surprised by whatever dark thought you had or what you did in your past. He's glad that you're here and he sent his son to die on the cross just for you, just for you. And it doesn't define, it doesn't define your future. He has good plans for you but it does take us walking the other way away from the sexual sin and shame in our life and really making that daily, sometimes hourly, sometimes by the minute decision to walk with our heads held high towards the Lord and to keep on doing our best to keep his standards. Man, that is so good. So here's, here's what all that is saying. Sexual purity, it isn't just about what you do with your body. That's part of it, of course. It's also about what you do with your eyes and with your mind. And so we've got to be so mindful, like those in, in dating relationships, you know, like Ashley just talked about. We've got to be so, be so mindful of protecting each other's purity. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes you're going to take turns on who the strong one is and, and which one is feeling more tempted, and you need to protect each other's purity. For those who are, are single and not dating, you, you, and even married, you've got to protect your eyes. You've got to protect what you're putting into your eyes, what your thought life is. Your most powerful sex organ is between your ears, it all begins here. That's why the Bible has so much to say about lust. Jesus said it this way. You've heard the commandment that says, you must not commit adultery. But I say that anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So lust, it, 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 in itself, it isn't just something that leads to sin, but it's a sin in itself. Lust doesn't mean you recognize someone's attractive. That's just, you're just gonna recognize that. Lust is when you take that image 
and you start playing it in your mind as fantasy. You objectify another person, which means you treat them like an object, you reduce them to an object, and then you start using that the object of their image in your mind to fulfill your own sexual thoughts and fantasies. And that leads us into porn and, and just the rampant misuse of sex as so-called entertainment that we have in our culture today. We could talk a lot about this. I'm going to say just a few things. First off, I'm going to share a quote about porn from a very unlikely source. But when I saw this, I'm like, I can't say it any better than that. So props to Pope John Paul II for saying this about porn. He says, there's no dignity when the human dimension is eliminated from the person. In short, the problem with pornography is not that it shows too much of the person, but that it shows too little. And what, what he's saying there is, like when you reduce somebody to just an object, it dehumanizes them and it dehumanizes yourself because that's not just an object, that's a soul. That's a soul created in the image of God. Here's the principle. Lust views people as objects to be used. Love views people as souls to be cherished. And if we're drawn to use other people, either for our entertainment or through, or through impropriety in our relationships, then we need to take a big step back and say, that's, a, that's, that's God's daughter, that's God's son, that I'm misusing them for my pleasure, and that's gonna harm me, harm them, and it hurts the heart of God. And it starts again with our eyes. So we need to say what Job said in the Old Testament. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman or to look lustfully at a man. You can, you can lust, you know, everybody can lust. Yeah. And we've gotta be so careful. And pornography is, is not a comfortable topic to talk about, but just in the work that we do, we see that this is the issue that is holding more people back, I believe, than any other issue in our culture right now, married and single alike, the statistics for people inside and outside the church, both. It's just unbelievable how we've turned to porn and justified pornography, and it is damaging us in so many ways. It is so damaging, so destructive. I could point to neuroscience. I could give you a thousand Bible verses of what it does to your brain um, and what it does to sabotage your relationships, but I can also speak to it from personal experience. I I had a real problem with porn as, as a teenager in, into young adulthood and even early into our marriage, which was one of the, the biggest things we had to overcome together. And it was messy and painful. And so I talk every chance I get about it and it's not comfortable to talk about, but the church needs to be again, the safest place on earth for us to talk about the redemptive work of God and how we need to be honest about our sin and bring it to the foot of the cross and find healing. And if this is something you're struggling with, Grovetown, South Campus, Dream Center, in this room, online, wherever you are, if you're tempted to, to look at the wrong things or go to the wrong places, you've gotta get accountability, you've gotta get help. There's a lot of help out there. There's software you can put on your phones and devices that not only block porn, but, but will link it to an accountability partner where you're giving a trusted friend or even your spouse access to looking at every bit of your search history. And we, we need that kind of accountability. Like when I struggled with porn, it was like in the dark ages really before the internet even existed. And you had to go like looking for it. And I, I remember for me, it started like, is a gateway drug, I would just look for any reason to lust. And I remember the first time I was intentional about lusting, it, it was at Walmart. And you might think there's literally nothing at Walmart that could cause lust. Yeah. But this was a small town in Kentucky and you just had to get creative. And so, <laughs> so there was a section of posters in this Walmart and the posters you know, just had different stuff, but there was always at least one poster in the middle of all the posters you could slide through of, of a girl in a bikini. And like, I would go over there and be like, mom, I'm gonna go walk around Walmart. I'm like 12 or 13. And she's like, okay. And I go and I just start flipping through the posters. I'm like, Vanilla Ice, no. Boys to Men, no. Millie Vanilli, no. Michael Jackson, no. Michael Jordan, no. There she is. 
bikini girl. And I would just look around, real creepy, like no one's looking. I'd close it real fast if somebody walked by. And it, it just started planting this idea in my mind that, that I could look, and I'm like, this isn't hurting anybody. But I was objectifying, I was lusting. I didn't, I didn't have words for it then, but I was starting this thought process that said, it's okay, it's just entertainment for me to, to, to gawk and to lust and to fantasize. And then that led into you know, finding you know, magazines at my friend's dad's house that we would look at and, and on and on and on. And eventually, deep into a pit of sin where, where it, was, it was an addiction and it was a messy process breaking free of that addiction. And I'm so thankful that, that I did. And I'm so thankful for the, the grace of an amazing wife that, that first year or second year in our marriage when this all came out and for the grace of God. But again, we get messages every day in the work that we do of people where this is the struggle. And I just wanna challenge you. You gotta get honest about it. You gotta get real about it. Embrace the, the healing and the freedom that God wants to bring you. But you gotta, you gotta admit first that it's a sin in a world that's saying it's not. Yeah. And, and you've gotta, you gotta get real. You gotta talk about these things. And I'm so thankful that we're part of a church that can have these, these conversations. But that one issue, maybe God brought you to church today or had you tune in online today for that one thing, because that's the thing that's holding you back in your faith, in your marriage, in, your, in every part of life. And when you will just let go of that, I'm telling you from experience, the freedom that you'll feel is, is amazing. Because God wants us to have freedom, y'all. He does. You know, he's a God of forgiveness. He's a God that makes us new creations. He doesn't want us having this baggage in our life. And that brings us to our next point, that sexual sin brings baggage, but Jesus brings freedom and forgiveness. And there's so many verses we could share with you about this, but we're gonna talk about John uh, 1, I'm sorry, 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And I don't know about you, but to me, that is the best news. You see, you know, we have these bags up there to represent that baggage, specifically sexual baggage that I think so many of us carry. But we don't wanna leave it here because you know, when it comes to our baggage, whether it's sexual baggage or not, and I don't even think all baggage is necessarily sin related. I think that when it comes to sex, some of us have baggage of things that were done to us, where someone took advantage of us and we feel like we have to go through our life ashamed and less than. And I just wanna, I just wanna encourage you to get healing, that God, you know, God is sick that that happened to you. And he wants you to find healing and wholeness, and you can find healing and wholeness. It's a process, but you can. But he doesn't want you carrying around bags of shame, just you know, feeling like that that's your, your kind of lot in life, that you've gotta carry that around. He wants you to have that freedom. I think some people in this room just have wrong perspectives about sex, maybe, and how they were raised at home or church or otherwise, and they're carrying around baggage, just, you know, feeling like they have to do this, they're never gonna enjoy it. You know, I think there's some people that think they blew it, and so because they were promiscuous in the past or did something wrong in the past, that God will never bless their marriage and their sex life within their marriage, and so they just gotta carry this baggage and walk around half-hearted. I mean, imagine it this way. I want to show you physically, and I have this mic, so it's a little bit complicated, but I think so many of us, this is how it is. Like, there are people in this room, we can't physically see the bags you're carrying, but you literally walk in to this church every Sunday, and you come, and you're glad, you know, you know you're glad you're here, you know, you know you're supposed to be here, but you walk around with bags we can't see. You think this is how it has to be. You think that this is your punishment, like somehow it's, it's a holy punishment, 
God's put on you, and it's just your lot in life. And you have other bags, that, like backpacks that are on you. You're just weighed down. And you're like, well, I gotta carry this. This is what I gotta do. And you pray, and you've asked for God's forgiveness. Like, you've gone to the cross. And you've said, I repent, Lord. I, I'm so sorry. But you, you know, and you, and you pray, and you thank him. You thank him for his forgiveness. But then you keep walking, and you're walking, you're repenting. You're walking the other way, but you're still holding on to these bags that you're not even supposed to be holding on to. You know, when we go to the cross, we not only pray, repent, and thank God for his forgiveness, but we lay it down, and we leave it there. We lay it all down. You bring it all. We're not supposed to be carrying around these things that God sent his very son to die for. He took a beating, he hung on that cross, and what did he say at the end? It is finished. It's finished, you guys, it's done. You're not defined by these bags. I mean, you carried him for a time, but let him carry him now. He died to carry that for you. He wants you to have freedom. And if there's anything you take from this message today, I just pray that you leave whatever baggage you've been carrying at the cross, and then you walk away and repent from it, and you walk with your head held high, lighter than ever, embracing the life that God has for you. That's so good. One more verse. I'm gonna let God have the last word on this subject, especially for those of you that are carrying heavy baggage. And you're like, is this true? Is this really for me? Well, this, this verse is for you. Therefore, anyone who belongs to Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And friends, that happens the moment you put your faith in Christ. And it continues to happen every time you bring a sin to him or an issue to him, or you bring your, your baggage. The Bible says we can cast all our anxieties, all our worries, all our baggage really onto him because he yeah. cares so deeply for us. So as we close out in prayer, we wanna just pray God's blessing over all of you. We wanna pray for those who are trying to walk that road of sexual purity in a world of sexual brokenness, that God would continue to give you strength. We wanna pray for those who feel like they've already blown it and that, that they're just gonna have to carry baggage through life, that God would, would show you his mercy and his peace. I wanna pray for marriages or maybe your marriage is struggling and maybe sex has always been just a, a point of tension in your marriage instead of a gift, that you would, you would experience the beautiful intimacy and freedom that God intended for you to have as a husband and wife. And we also wanna pray for those here that have not yet made the biggest decision of all, the decision to give Christ your heart, your life, your soul, and to walk in the freedom that only he can bring the moment we become his son or his daughter through faith. So would you stand with me as we, as we close out in prayer? Sweetie, would you pray for us? Absolutely. Lord, I thank you so much for all the people that took time to come here and, and in person and online and to all the campuses, Lord. I thank you for each and every person, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that the single people who walked in, that they learn something about the standard you have and that they don't have to live a life where they feel like they cannot hold to your standard, that we're not meant to do it alone, but with your help, with Jesus, we can do it, Lord, that in our weakness, you are strong, Lord. And I pray for anybody who walked in with tons of bags that we can't see, but you can see, Lord. I pray that they let go of those today right at, at your feet, Lord, and that they fully embrace the forgiveness that you have for them, and they fully surrender it to you and then repent and walk the other way, doing their best to follow the life that you have for them, Lord, a life full of freedom and blessing. I pray for the married couples, Lord, that they feel that freedom, that the marriage bed is a safe place, a beautiful place that is blessed by God, Lord where they can be free and they can, can experience a connection like nothing else in this world. And Lord, we just love you and we praise you for a church that talks about the hard stuff. We thank you so much. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Let's give the Lord a hand. Yes. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace, for your mercy.
Guys, thanks so much for being here today. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday for the conclusion of Vanishing Values. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to stevenscreekchurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.